All right, welcome back to Dirt Talk. We got another episode for you. Uh, we're going to be talking with Jason Miller today. He's the president at Midwest Mole. We've been working with them for uh, a little less than a year now, and they're a trenchless construction contractor. Very, very specialized type of work. That's absolutely fascinating. I didn't know very much about it before we started working with them. Uh, the more I've seen, the more I've just been blown away by what they do. It's it's definitely not for everybody, and they're pretty proud of that fact. Jason, thanks for taking a little bit of time. We're, it's a Saturday, so I, I appreciate your time today. Yeah, no, no problem, Aaron. Glad to be here. I guess let's let's take it back to the beginning. So how how did you start your career, and how did you end up in in the blue collar world? Yeah, kind of like a lot of folks, I had big ideas of of going to college, and really didn't know what I was going to do with my life at the time. But went down to Indiana University, Bloomington, and I kind of tell folks I kind of figured out what you shouldn't do with your life. After that first year, it was kind of a debacle. I really didn't know what to do. IE would not have me back, nor did it make any sense to continue to waste money like that. So um, my dad uh, has worked in the construction business for his the vast majority of his career and was working at a company called Midwest Mall was a foreman there. And I thought I would just join him for the summer and kind of be part of the crew. And fortunately, I, I, I at least had something to do. Once I got started, it was something that, uh, you know, it's just kind of in your blood. It just fit me and, and suited me. And I loved it from the very beginning. I love getting up early in the morning. I love the smell of diesel fuel in the morning. I love all the questions and challenges associated with it and all the different things that we did and, you know, all the different people that we met, whether it was a one week job in court in Indiana or a six month job in Chicago at the time and a 19 year old kid, it just, it's just something that really appealed to me. Why didn't college work out? You know, I just wasn't disciplined enough. I, I, I think, you know, high school was easy for me, graduated with honors and stuff like that, but I really didn't have to work at it. And once, once I got to college, the combination of, of, of freedom, lack, lack of discipline, and then just happened to, to work for, for those grades. It just, it just didn't fit me. It just, it, for, for whatever reason, if I could have been disciplined enough to, to, to muscle it out, I'm, I'm sure I, I probably could have made it. But, but for me, it just didn't make any sense. And then within a couple of months of working, I knew that I probably wasn't going to go back. Starting out at Midwest Mole, what was your what were you doing? Were you just a laborer? What what did that look like? Yeah, so I was just a laborer on uh, crew. Was fortunate enough to learn from some of the best. Uh, my you know my father being one, not to be overly I guess impartial, but you know uh, I was blessed uh, to learn a lot from my own father, not only in life but but in what we do here. You know what I do is a vocation. So that was cool, getting to spend time with Dad and traveling with him. It was a lot of fun for a couple of years there. Oh. It, but but at the same time, I, I got got to work with with a lot of guys, right? And there's yeah. still some of those guys that are here today. And you know, it kind of really builds. You know, at the time, I didn't realize what I was doing it was just earning respect. But it really goes a long ways. Even the folks that that I haven't worked with now kind of know the story, know that I've been there, and and, and that helps. You know that people have an understanding that I know what they're going through and I know it's not easy. How was working with your dad? Cause I know that's, it's a totally different dynamic going from, you know, just being father, son to working with each other. How was that? I mean, was he patient? Was he treating you like everyone else? What was that like? So, I mean, I was his kid. So it was two things. One, I think he was probably a little hypersensitive with the safety stuff. Uh, um, being, being a 19 year old, know it all. Yeah. There was a lot of, screaming matches kind of back and forth like i know what i'm doing but he was just trying to keep me safe like don't put your hand there don't step there don't do this and i just kind of felt like you know come on but you know looking back he, he that's all he was trying to do was keep me safe but as far as expectations go it was more than just you know one of the guys the expectations were higher and that's just kind of the way it is there was never going to be any kind of uh, idea that something was was going to be handed to me or any of his kids I guess you've been with Midwest Mole your entire career then. Yeah. So it's, gosh, I guess it's 25 years. Holy smokes. Um, now, yeah. And, and 25 years, I think coming up. I mean, you're, you're leading the company now. You're, you're the president of the company. And was that ever even a remote thought when you were early on or were you just, you know, showing up to work and, and getting at it? No, I've got a great story. We were, we were up with two or three crews in the Chicago area, Northwest Indiana and, 
couple of them were going up there and a couple of us were working in, in uh, Lake County, Indiana. And we were all having dinner and maybe having a couple of beers that night. And I remember one of the foremen, I'll never forget. He's like, man, I don't know what you want to do because at the time I was kicking around, maybe heading into the office and they were kind of talking a little bit about that. And uh, our founder, Lynn Lyote was, was pushing me to try and go back to school and at least try a couple semesters, see if I could do it or whatever. And I remember that guy saying, you'll never make it. You'll never make any money in there. You'll never do any good. Why would you ever want to go to the office? Those guys, you know, <laughs> kind of that sense of office versus field. And oh yeah, I don't know. I just, I kind of look back and laugh at that conversation. It's just kind of funny how people think. But yeah, at the time I was kind of with him like, man, I, I have no idea what we're doing here. I have no idea what I'm doing other than it, it seems like a, the, the next challenge, you know what I mean? And I just, I've just been completely blessed to have incredible mentors from, from the field. And then once I did start and see the office, you know, to be able to learn from some of the best. What about trenchless and, and tunneling? What about it? Do you, do you really enjoy? I mean, it, it, it's, it's so much more complex and oftentimes more interesting than just moving dirt or building a road. It, it, what you guys do is nuts. I mean, what about it was so appealing to you? Boy, there's a lot of things. I, I remember having a conversation with the uh, gentleman. So we got partners all over the country and this guy was getting close to retirement. I asked him, what is he going to miss? And he said, the people. And that's very true. In, in our business, in our industry, there are a lot of like-minded individuals. And it, it doesn't matter if you're from California or New York or or Canada or Texas, it really doesn't matter what part of the country or, or, or even really the world. We've met people from all over the world that just very like-minded, hardworking, problem-solving, just salt-of-the-earth type folks that, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, that's one of the big things is the people. And then the other thing is the challenge. You, you got to love a challenge. You got to love solving problems. If you like solving problems and you like a challenge, then this is the business for you. If, if you kind of you know, like doing the same thing every day. You know, I was never much of, of a, I could never work in a factory or just even an office type setting. I mean, I'm probably in the office, you know, outside of these past couple of weeks, only in the office once or twice a week. So I can never really sue me. So the, our business, our industry being, you know, being able to work outside, being able to, to go to different places and, and face new challenges was really one of the things because mother nature is very unforgiving. And no matter how many soil borings and test boards they take, there's still a certain amount of unknown every time we start a tunnel or a bore. That soil and that strata and that geologic makeup can change rapidly. And that presents challenges, right? We set up for, for one thing, and then 100 feet later, it's completely different. We have to be able to kind of overcome and adapt. And, and that's, that's something that I've always found exciting. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, this whole industry, construction in general, it's all problem solving. But for you guys, I mean... Every single job doesn't go as planned, it seems. And I mean, at least what I've learned from you guys and, and talking to you guys and, and you'll plan it all out, you know, come up with the perfect plan and then get in the dirt and then it all completely changes. It's And every single job I've talked to you guys about has been like that. You know, oh yeah, we only had 35 obstructions in this tunnel or what, whatever it may be. It's just, it's crazy how, how many problems you guys have or you know, that the Arizona job you were just talking about. Yeah. You know, we got the machine in the pit and then we had to modify it even, you know, before you guys really started it, it seems like every single job has problems. Yeah. I mean, really, I, I look at our folks and our, our field guys and even our shop folks, really everybody. I mean, I kind of look at it like Renaissance men, right? You know, I, I look at our field and, and you got to be able to weld, you got to be able to cut, you got to be able to operate equipment a little bit. You got to be able to labor some. You got to be kind of a carpenter. You got to be a little bit of a mechanic. You just got a little bit of electrician, a little bit of hydraulic specialist, a little bit of fabricator, a little bit of iron worker. You know, you got to have a little bit of everything yeah. to do what we do because it, it kind of touches all those crafts. I mean, you'll go around the United States. Like I said, I mean, you're you're sitting outside of Indianapolis right now. You have a crew in Arizona if the machine doesn't work or they have to modify it, it's up to them to do it. They can't just send it back to the shop in, in Indiana. It doesn't work that way. No, I mean, yeah, that would be a very inefficient way to conduct business. Yeah, man. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of work done in the field. We, we do all we can to make things right. We've gotten so much better in that regard when we ship stuff out from our shop and uh, it's really become a competitive advantage for us. But yeah, there are things that happen that, you know, it's, it's machinery. So it's, it's going to break down and, or it's going to wear out or, this wire is going to be crossed and things need to be fixed. So 
oftentimes our guys can handle it. But, you know, we've, we've got traveling guys that come out of the shop too and we'll get right there with them and, and fix the stuff on site. Yep. Now, can you explain what you guys do? I mean, what's your sweet spot of your business? And, and can you just, I mean, to someone that doesn't really understand trenchless construction, can you explain what you guys do day to day? Yeah, I'll try to kind of give a 30,000 foot, you know, synopsis of it, then kind of a little bit more of what we do. Yep. When I hear the word trenchless, I mean, it's fairly vast and it can be broken down into two sections, the new installation section and then the rehabilitation section. And mm-hmm. within the past 20 years, the rehab market has just exploded. Yep. And that's um, kind of primarily what people know is the cured in place world. There's other ways to, to rehabilitate existing pipelines via hook lining or spray on liners or there's multiple spiral wound liners. There's concrete cementious type lining. There's all kinds of different things and people vying to get into that market. And we do some of that. That That is a part of our business. But then there's this whole new installation side of things to where what I tell people is if you come up to a highway and you're laying a new water line and you need to get to the other side of that highway, we have the technology to go underneath the highway without tearing it up. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, to me, is kind of the most basic, simple way to explain it. We go underneath things for different type of utilities without tearing up that obstruction, be it a roadway, be it a, be it a railroad, be it being an existing building. You name your thing above ground, above grade, that you do not want to disturb, and we've got multiple different ways to put in a pipeline underneath that. And that, that's kind of the, the, the big version. And again, that, that could be used for everything. It could be the small diameter dry stuff like cable and TV, gas, and then it could be uh, larger diameter stuff like water and sewer, storm water. And then, of course, you can get up into really big stuff like transportation and pedestrian walkways, things are like there's this whole nother level, more primarily that I would call just the big diameter tunneling market that caters to either really large storage sewer tunnels or transportation or big water. You know, that's a whole nother very, very specific niche set of individuals really throughout the world that, that are involved in that. And so where does Midwest Mole fit between the guy that's installing fiber lines in front of my front yard to, you know, a 60 foot diameter transportation tunnel? Right. So we're probably right in the middle. So there are times when we compete against the guy that's, that's putting in your fiber line, maybe not as much the fiber, but certainly the, the directional drill company that does smaller diameter water line stuff. We, we do a lot of that from the new install side all the way up to mid-sized tunnels. So our, our sweet spot in our tunnel range is anywhere from 36 to probably 120 inch. We've done as large as a, a 16 foot diameter tunnel. That's kind of our sweet spot. And primarily we're a water and sewer contractor, but that doesn't mean we, we won't do other utilities. Well, we've done a lot of power work lately in the Washington area and Chicago area. So it kind of just depends on, on what's hot in the market and where we're working geographically. As a rule, we're primarily water and sewer, larger diameter, princess contractor. And then with, with these tunnels, there's a host of different methods to install tunnels, right? I mean, you can like directional drilling, right. you're pulling the pipe, whereas boring, uh, you know, jack and bore, you're pushing it through the earth. It depends on the material and all that, right? Yeah, it depends on the, the, the material, the depth, the availability of equipment, the specified pipe sizes, even the grade of the pipe. Is it a gravity sewer or is it a, is it a pipeline that's under pressure like a water or a forest main? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of variables that go into which method out of our trenchless toolbox we're going to apply on this particular job. But and, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of different methods that are out there now. I mean, is there a lot of work that goes in on, on the front end of bidding these jobs? I mean, the engineer is, is the engineer necessarily telling you which method to, to choose? Or do you guys have to sit down and be like, okay, this is what they want. Or, you know, here's what the cores say. This is what we think might be best here. How much work do you guys have to do before you even bid a job? Quite a bit. And we bid quite a bit. So yeah. just trying to do what we can do first and foremost, to figure out the soil conditions. And sometimes there's jobs that there's no geotechnical information at all on a project. And then oftentimes those are just jobs we don't fit because we've got to have some kind of idea what the soils are like. Now, if it's an area we've worked before, specifically, say, around Indianapolis, we've got a pretty good idea of the geotechnical makeup around the city. So, you know, if there's something specified without test boards, then maybe that's something we would consider bidding. Whereas, if it was in, I don't know, say Columbus, Ohio, where we're not as experienced, 
we would be more apt to just pass on that. So geotechnical analysis is first and foremost. Sometimes engineers do specify the method. We do recommend they don't do that. If they do, then we typically try and stick with what, what they do just just because it gets into kind of a mess, um, you know, if something wrong does happen, right? So it's all dependent upon what the, what the variables of the job are. And if we think we can bid something, or if they specify something we think is just completely inaccurate, then again, we'll, we'll have to pass on that or we'll have to talk to them before and try and get those things changed or at least opened up to other methods that, that are available out there. A lot of these two, I mean, like I just saw a beautiful TBM get lowered into the ground the other day in Arizona, and it's, it's a beautiful machine, but a lot of other tunnels, I mean, you do, you still do a lot of hand mining, which is, I mean, it's literally yeah. guys with air spades at the front with a shield protecting them, just digging, I mean, little bit by little bit to advance the tunnel, right? I mean, it's it, like a lot of this stuff is pretty hardcore. Yeah, no, I know people think think we're crazy when we say we're going to hand mine a job. And and, yeah. and I think some people still, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Then when they, then when we arrive to the site, they say, oh, wow, you guys, you weren't really kidding. You are digging this tunnel by hand. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, there's different technologies out there. There's there's a technology called microtunneling, and it, it's, it's very advanced, and it can go through the ground. Almost any type of variable ground conditions, it's probably the most technologically advanced method of new installation that we have out there for smaller diameter pipelines. But it's also expensive. And, and if we've just got a couple hundred foot crossing underneath a roadway, oftentimes it doesn't make sense to bring something like that. And then if we're hand mining, we oftentimes have the best way to control the ground material versus some other open face type application. So, yeah, we, we still that's, that's one of the things I think that separates us. We've still kind of got the old school mentality where we'll, we're not afraid to do a hand mine. We're not afraid to climb in and remove boulders and rocks and trees and whatever else you'll encounter underneath the earth. And when I was in the field, I did probably over a year of that straight. And, you know, I understand it's not easy. It's very hard work. But I ran into a guy out east and one of our competitors and they were putting in a, a wood box tunnel hand mine, which is something we, we, we do as well. And just kind of chatting with him. And, you know, he just said, hey, it's just. I've been doing this 20 years, just good, honest work, keep me out of trouble. And I just thought, you know, there's, that's exactly right. There's, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing here. Yeah. It's just good, honest work. That's it. Man. Now going back to your, your field days, how long did you spend in the field before you transitioned to the office? Oh, uh, a little over two years. And then uh, once, uh, probably about a year kind of in our shop and, and then in the field, something like that. So a little over three years out there, our founder, like I said, it had, it had kind of pushed me to go back to school, so I did try the whole college thing for another semester or so. And again, it uh, it was the time when I kind of transitioned into the office. So I was part time in the office, part time in school. But after a semester, I, I kind of went to them and said, "Guys, this is what I want to do." I'd seen a couple of estimators kind of come and go in my time there, and and after one left, the timing was just right. And and I said, "Guys, this this is what I want to do. I, I I'd like this opportunity." And, and, uh, you know, fortunately for me, they took me up on it and, and I got to learn from, you know, our founder, Lynn Lyote was, was one of my great teachers, Vint McGinnis, who, who retired here, a VP, but it was a long time tunnel guy. And, you know, between those two guys and what I'd learned from my dad and, you know, they really set the foundation on, you know, how do you bit work and kind of how this, how this game works that, that we're in. And, and they really, really set my, you know, set me off on my career by, by spending a lot of time with me. And and there's really no book to what you guys do. I mean, or you can't, you know, take an online class or you, you really have to find those experts in this subject to teach you, right? I mean, they, they have to pass down the information. It's not, you can't really find it anywhere else. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because the industry has grown so much in, in 25 years and there is a lot more in academia. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a place called the Trentless Technology Center in at Louisiana Tech, and there's different universities that have their own trenchless technology chapters, right? There's there's seven or eight, I think, throughout the country now. Mm. And um, so th- th- it's becoming more and more exposed to, to younger folks, specifically professional folks that are going to be engineers, right, that are educating these people and giving them an opportunity. But, you know, with that comes a lot of publications. You know, ASCE has done a lot of work. Uh, National Utility Contractors has, has done a lot of work on trenchless. And, and, you know, these different associations of have public stuff. But with all that said, with all that additional information out there, it's still hard. The best thing to do is just get in it and learn it. And and to have somebody that'll that'll spend some time and, and mentor you, that's the way to learn it. Because you can only learn so much by reading it in the book. It's 
getting out there and seeing it. It's getting out there and doing it. It's talking to the guy that's been there. I mean, I tell folks that when I was on the road for those two or three years, I learned a lot when I was working in the field, but I learned a hell of a lot when I was in the hotel rooms with those guys mm. talking about past jobs, past problems. You know, what are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do next week? What? And just going through all that and, and, you know, you really bring, it creates that brothership, that sense of camaraderie. It's just a great way to learn. It really is. I feel like a lot of younger kids are frustrated because they feel like they're just not getting taught by the older guys or, or you know, the, the older guys are just kind of brushing them off and that really, you know, gets under their skin. What makes a younger person teachable? I mean, what if, if, if a younger person were to approach you in, in looking to learn some of the lessons you learned early on, what, you know, how would they, how would you want them to approach you? First thing you need to do is you need to be patient, yeah. right? It's not, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. The bill of goods that everybody has to go to school is a lie. The bill of goods that you're going to go to school and you're going to get out in two years, you're going to be the vice president of wherever the hell you're working. That's a lie. <laughs> you, you just got to be patient. That's probably first and foremost. So yeah. the, the thing that I see the most with younger folks is, and I get it. People want to advance. You got to have a career path and we have to be kind of forward thinking in terms of being leaders of our organizations to, to try and address those needs. But at the same time, there still needs to be a certain amount of patience that it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, we say, I don't know, it's a minimum of five years. And that's probably being very, I guess, aggressive with our estimate from a, a labor to becoming a form. It takes a minimum of five years. And that's somebody that's, that's really, really kind of on it and already has some certain either they, they either already mechanically inclined or they grew up around equipment or there's something with the where they've already kind of got a step ahead right yeah it, it just it just takes time and uh, and that goes without saying whether whether you're going to be a, a an estimator or you're gonna, whether you're going to be an equipment operator or whether you're going to be a hand miner <laughs> it takes time to learn how to follow the follow that laser and put that tunnel in online and great too so you went to the office you you were in estimating for I mean I take it quite a while. At what point did you start getting into leadership at the company? I kind of started out with estimating and then was was given the opportunity to kind of project manage some some jobs and and kind of went went to that progression. But I, I've still stayed in kind of estimating sales throughout my my entire career. But I'd say I can't remember, but sometime before I was thirty, I, I was named vice president. And probably then is when I really picked up some more leadership responsibilities, just running different meetings. Uh, from from weekly stuff to our annual things, and and then just just having those different uh, opportunities. And as the company's grown, then then we've added people. You know, when we started, we were we were pretty small, and the office was very small. So there there to be honest with you, there wasn't a lot of people to manage or lead yeah. uh, at at the time. But as we've grown, we've certainly added a lot of really good people. You know, those opportunities have just came. And so, as we've grown. And so you went into leadership, I mean, like th- around 30 as vice president, that's pretty damn young. But at the same time, you know, you had put in a decade of work at the exact same place to get there. That's right. So it wasn't, right. I mean, you were young <laughs> overall, but you'd put in your time. So going back to the patience yeah. thing, I mean, you, you paid your dues to get to that point. Yeah. So, the, you know, patience is important, but you know, on the flip side, again, I talk about our mentors and, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, you know, our owner's son, who was the vice president when I started, who's, who's our majority owner now, uh, and has been my partner since 2006. It, you know, I'll never forget him taking me aside and saying, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing here. We really want you to be part of this going forward in the future. And if, if there's ever any reason that you think you want to leave, please come and see me first. Yeah. And as a young guy getting started, kind of thinks he knows what he wants to do here, but maybe not. Man, that just really cemented what I was going to be doing. For me, for the rest of my life, really. I guess for all you mentors out there, all you leaders out there, don't be afraid to tell these young folks if they're doing good. And if they're really doing good and they're really going to be a leader, then let them know and tell them because it, it can go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people in this industry, especially, they don't communicate that kind of stuff. And then when people get frustrated and leave, I mean, a lot of departures from companies, people leaving and going to other companies a lot of those could have been prevented just by communication earlier on. Yeah. It, it, we say it all the time here. It's the toughest thing we do. Yeah. Communication is, is hard and it's, it's funny and ironic and really kind of hilarious. I mean, when I, when I started, we all had pages, right? We'd go to cell phones to call one another. Yeah. And it's, 
sometimes I think we communicated better back then than, than we do now with everybody with smartphones on their hips and every foreman's got an iPad and all this stuff that we're doing with, with, you know, or at least we're trying to do with social media and, and things of that nature. Now it's kind of funny, really. <laughs> so what's, what's your day to day look like now? I mean, you're, you're the president of the company. Uh, you, you own part of the company now and, and you said you're, you're not in the office very much. So how do you lead the business, but also stay in the field? Yeah. So we've got a, a really great group of operations folks and they do a really good job of, of day-to-day operations kind of field control. I'll be honest, they handle the vast majority of that until we get into problems or if we've got some, uh, some partnership or kind of things that, that we've got going on. Or if we just get so busy and I need to go back and manage one of the jobs, um, which which has happened um, really? here fairly recently. But primarily, it's, I'd say probably close to 50% of my time is still business development, estimating, administration. I hate to say that's the funnest part of the job. Yep. Things of that nature is, is what. So if I'm, if I'm out of the office, there's, there's a good chance that I'm, I'm either meeting with a customer or meeting with a potential customer or stopping by one of our jobs and just seeing how our crews are doing. Gotcha. A lot of your work is relationship based, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got nothing to complain about, right? Yeah. Um, with, with what we're doing, we're deemed an essential business. But if there's anything that that I miss is, is being able to to show up and see somebody and look them in the eye and shake their hands and and you know have a conversation like like we're doing now. So certainly miss that right now. Why is that important in this business? Trust. I mean, yeah. we've we've done multiple jobs where somebody has pulled out. Right. It's the, either the, the job got too tough or or maybe the, the schedules didn't work for, for our competitor, wh- whatever the reason that, that they pulled out on a contractor. We've been able to come in and, and build relationships in, in situations like that. And honestly, some of the best relationships we've built is when we've had catastrophe jobs. And mm. you know what? We might have burned an extra month or two. Uh, longer, fortunately, it didn't hurt the overall job schedule, but our, our customer could see that, man, these guys are bleeding, but they're not leaving yeah. and they're sticking it up and, and they're going to finish the job. And, and we, and I really believe that we've gained some, some great long-term customers built on those relationships and, and then built on just, just sticking it out and doing what we're going to say. So yeah, that, those relationships are important because it's all about trust. Mm. Yeah. We got contracts. Yeah. We got bonds. Yeah, it's a big CYA world out there. But our best relationships, our best jobs are with people that we trust and we know what to expect from one another. It's interesting, too, because, you know, everyone's buddy-buddy and and best friends when times are good. But then when things go south and things get really rough, you start to see who's who. And especially, I mean, this is the first time in my business that I've got to see kind of who's who just because Mm -hmm. the world's not good right now all of a sudden. And people that were, you know, best friends with you only a few weeks ago are now, you know, just looking after themselves and like, hey, I can't help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're sitting here like, wait, I thought I, I thought we had something going here. Right. Huh. Yeah, it's interesting when things get tough, you can you can think, I think it's human nature. You start kind of digging in your heels a little bit. You maybe start looking around. You maybe start thinking about cutting corners. You maybe start thinking about doing something you normally wouldn't do. But those are opportunities. Those are opportunities for your character. Those are opportunities for your company. Those are opportunities for you just a human being in general. Yeah. We made a decision and like verbalized it, Dan and I, like we are going to do this the right way. And if we cannot, then we are not going to do it. Yeah. Right. We are not going to take this job if we have to, to somehow cheat to do it. We're not going to buy this piece of equipment. If it's going to put us in a, an overwhelmingly adverse debt position, we're not going to, uh, hire this particular individual if it's if it's gonna wh- whatever you know if we got to steal it steal them from somebody that we trust and, and that we work with right yeah so whatever doing it right means there's a lot of versions of that but those situations come up often and you get a chance to prove that often or to define that often if you're not then things can get really tough we've been really blessed that i think people recognize that people appreciate that i think people see that with us that we want people to do good. We want people to retire here. We want people to, to love what they do. We want people to smile when they go to work we, because we know it's not easy. We know it's not, not tough. It's, it's not always about the money. And we think everyone does pretty good here, but we, we need it to be more than, than just about the money. Well, and you guys are interesting because it's really hard to find the right person up front. 
But if they're the right person and they, I think you said it, you know, if they last a certain amount of years, they're basically yeah. here for life after that. Yeah, kind of our five-year mark is kind of the watermark, the bench line. If you're here five years and there's a really good chance, this is it. This is what you're going to do. But for whatever reason, we've had a lot of folks, a lot of really talented super folks that have made it three, four years. More often than not, it's the travel that gets to them. And they just, you know, they just can't overcome that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not for everybody. Life's short. And if this isn't something that you love to do, then you need to be doing something else. I mean, that's just because of the nature of your guys' work. You have to go, you have to travel for it because there's not enough of it to sustain your business just in Indianapolis. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, can you explain what the mud and the blood is? Man, that's, that's hard. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's, it's kind of something that same guy that told me never go work in the office is kind of the first guy that, that told me about that and, and shared that with me. And, it's uh, the sense of camaraderie. It's being up to your knees, literally in, in mud and, and shoveling through something. It's it's hand mining for 12 hours a day for six months. Gosh, it's getting up at at, at three in the morning on on Monday morning, right? To get the to get to the job by seven. That's yeah. four hours away. Yeah. It's uh, getting home late. It's working weekends. It's it's being away from your family, but still putting family first. You know, it's it's just a lot of those things, and it's a lot of intangibles, and really, it's just the definition of our culture. It's 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 everybody thinking like owners. It's everybody, even though we're like every other family, we're not perfect. We have things that that blow up from time to time. We've got relationships that aren't perfect, that is for sure. But ultimately, everybody knows that if if the company does well, we all do well, yep. right? If the company does good, we all do. And, and we all take pride in the fact that we know that we're doing something that not everybody can do. And even if they can do it, most people don't want to do it. Yeah. So there's, there's a certain amount of kind of, I don't know, just this sense of pride, I think, that comes with being able to do something that, that not everybody can. 100%. Yeah. And, and, a, and, and so that's kind of a long-winded answer. So what, what does the mud and the blood mean? It's just, it's, it's a lot. It just, it's a it's a thirty thousand foot view of, of of our culture. Now, as the guy that's leading the company, helping to lead the company, doing business development in the office, how do you maintain? How do you still relate to the guys out in the field every day? How do you keep? How do you keep yourself grounded? And how do you make it clear to them that hey, I I've been in your shoes. I know exactly what you're feeling right now. I'm here with you when you're not physically there with them while they're doing stuff like that? Two things. And it really, you, you got to be there when there's problems, you got to be there. Mm. I remember my, my son who's, who's 12 now. So this has been a little while when he was first born. I think we had an accident on one of our job sites and within 48 hours of my son being born, I was on a job. Mm. And there's probably a lot of folks maybe that think that's crazy, but that's just one example of, you know, how, how do you stay connected? Well, you, you got to be there with them. And, and when there's problems, when there's issues, when there's things that, you know, they need help with, then, then you have to be there. Yeah. And, and that's really the answer is, is, is you got to be there and, and then helping them solve problems, right? When, when there's a problem that they can't figure out, not to say that we have all the answers, we don't, but we can help find them and we can help figure them out. And, and when you do that, then, then you continue to kind of keep that respect and then just helping people. You know, not, you know, not outside of work. If, if everybody's got a life, everybody has relationships outside of this place. And sometimes things aren't easy, right? Life happens. Uh, whether it's somebody that's sick or, or whatever, we, we just, we try and help people mm. uh, the, best, the best that we can. Why are you guys deemed essential right now? Why are you an essential business? You know, we talk about this, I think, annually. I mean, that's kind of part of our why, right? Yep. I mean, we're essential because we provide essential services and, you know, we, I guess we, we can debate whether water and sewer is important or whether, you know, heating our, our, our residences is important. But I think all of us now at this day and age would, would say that, yeah, all that stuff's essential. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that, that would be my answer. I, I tell everyone that we're, we're not, you don't work for a boring contractor, right? What do you do? Well, I'm a foreman, I bore pipe or, well, I'm a, I'm a laborer and I, I shovel. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're somebody that's making the lives of, of the people that live in this country better. 
right? Yeah. That's a, that's what you're doing. Yeah, maybe maybe you are wielding a shovel eight hours a day, or, or maybe you're pecking away accounting, or maybe you're driving a truck, or, or maybe you are a foreman. Uh, maybe you're one of our senior leaders. But at the end of the day, we're all what, what we're doing is something bigger and greater than all of us, and that's that's making people's lives better. That's providing power and heat to their homes. That's providing water for people to drink. That's providing just the basic necessities that, you know, oftentimes we take for granted, right? Yeah. You know, the road guys have it easy because when you when you get a chuckle, then people complain enough and they get funding to fix their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for us, you, you don't see something until it's an absolute failure or a catastrophe, right? Uh-huh. To know that a, that a pipe's broken. Now, granted, assessments come a long way. I'm not trying to uh, offend anyone in the assessment world, but it, it is a lot tougher for the average public to see, you know, what are our assets like underground? Yeah. And uh, be kind of honest, they're not that great. Well, that, I mean, the job you guys just won that award on that we talked about, it wasn't until, you know, part of the main street was shut down and the mayor drove by until it was fixed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's certainly part of kind of, kind of how it works, right? When you start seeing disruptions or, you know, I hate to say it, it's, it's kind of kind of disgusting, but when sewers start backing up into people's homes, things of that nature usually get people's attention and, and things get fixed. So trying to be proactive, being on the front end of things is, is what we're all trying to do. And we're just we're just a small piece of that puzzle. Yeah. Let's talk about the shop a little bit, because the shop is a huge part of the business in itself. And since you guys I mean, most contractors we work with, they use bulldozers, excavators, trucks, and, and everyone uses the exact same thing. You just go buy it from the local dealership. Your competitor has the same trucks. The guy the state over has the same trucks. Everyone uses the exact same tools. But you guys are wildly unique in the sense that you have this enormous yard with all sorts of steel and crazy contraptions that your shop can often pull from and just build Unique machines for that unique job from the ground up. Could you guys do what you do without your shop? No, not not at all. I mean, it's it's a different world where you know we can't go down to the the local excavator guy and then we set up a lease agreement or purchase agreement. Then if something goes, you know, then you've got annual kind of maintenance agreements and they'll take care of a lot of stuff. With with, with us, it's it is uh and really any if you've been in this business and and you're doing what we're doing then everybody's got a couple of guys that are just Cracker Jack Ace mechanics yeah. and and really good fabricators because you just have to be because the jobs change so much. And oftentimes the jobs are, are diameter specific, right? I, I The engineer says, I want to put a 60-inch pipe with this type of material, you know. Well, maybe we've got a machine for a, a separate type of material, but if we made certain modifications to it, then it would work for this particular job. So, we see that a lot and, and we do a lot of those type of things and, and our production pieces aren't, aren't the bulldozer, aren't the excavator, aren't the paver, aren't the roller, aren't those things. Our production pieces are tunneling equipment and boring machines and directional drill machines. And, yeah. and, uh, for us, some of that stuff we've had for 30 years, right. Uh, yeah. that we're able to just continue to maintain and, and utilize and, and, and reutilize. Now as technology changes in our world, we continue to add iron and, stay on the front edge of that curve we don't buy new excavators and crane those are just lifting tools for us they're, they're not necessarily digging tools for us so that's we, we don't need the, the latest and greatest excavator but we do need the best tunnel machine that's out there and really i mean when it comes down to building the best tunnel machine like the like the tbm you guys just launched they were saying there's, there's not an inch of that machine that the shop didn't touch in some shape or form absolutely absolutely that thing was was ran through from top to bottom and and we had a new bearing machine and and and, uh you know installed there and we had a brand new cutter head made and then everything else our our guys did from every hydraulic hose to electrical components you name it it's it's been kind of completely redone for the specifics of this project that's just nuts and there's i guess in fabricating that kind of stuff there's a lot of creativity involved too right i mean just trying to make it work with whatever you have well, it's probably more more of a, a limitation, right? I mean, you've seen that particular machine and seen how kind of relatively small it was, you know, yeah. and how much stuff was crammed in there. So yeah. your creativity is how do I get the most power? How do I get the most torque? Or how do I get the most, you know, it, you just have space limitations with what you're given with the world that we're doing. So 
that's where I think a lot of the, the creativity comes in. When I was looking at it this week, there were two guys, you know, on the back end of it as the machine was just going into the into the concrete there at one of the ends of the pit. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, are they are they running it or how do you guys run it? He's like, oh no, there's a guy inside of there, you know, damn near <laughs> damn near at the cutting head. And I was like, how would he even fit in there? There's no room to even be inside of that thing. And so I don't even know where the hell he is. <laughs> and then he sits in there all day. It's pretty small. Yes, sir. Yeah. That particular machine is, is fairly tight, but yeah. yeah, you can, you can get in there. You can get, you know, access to the face too. I mean, it's just kind of the world we live in. Wow. Now what's your mindset at the moment? I mean, you guys are an essential business, so you're still working and very fortunate in that regard. But I mean, there's still a lot of unknown in the world. And and so what, what has your mindset been over the past few weeks? You know, how have things changed for you? Cause I mean, everything's changed for everybody. So what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. Again, we, we, we don't have anything to, to complain about. We're, we're all healthy. We've had a few people come down with normal seasonal stuff, but nobody seems to, to kind of have any of the symptoms. We did have one, one individual get tested and came back negative for COVID, but as a rule, everyone seems to be pretty healthy, but people are nervous, right? People not really sure kind of what to think. So we're doing all we can to social distance and comply with everything that we've been instructed to do from, you know, the CDC and, and our states and the areas where we work. And we're doing what we can to keep everybody safe. And what this looks like moving forward, we're, we're not we're not sure. We're, we're, we're with everybody else. Right now, and I'll tell you, Aaron, I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor. It's been coming up on seven years for me. Okay. And, you know, that, that, that thing that what it really taught me was I don't have a lot of control over a lot of things. Uh. I used to, up until then, I really kind of thought I had control over everything in my life, which is pretty foolish. But this is just another example of that. And, you know, so for me, going through my cancer scare has really kind of got me personally in, in, in the right frame of mind. It's, um, you know, my faith kind of leads me individually. And, you know, I think it spills over into our company somewhat, too. And, my partner and I are both believers and, and, you know, in a time like this, we just, we rely on our faith and we just try and make the next right decision, you know, mm. do the next right, right thing. And if I'll be honest, we're not sitting around all day coming up with, with plans for the five weeks from now, because I have no idea what that's going to be. Yeah, We'll meet once a day and we'll kind of go through what we've heard. And if there's something that we know is true and that we can do and make things better, or it makes sense for our business or it helps our people then we'll do it. If it doesn't, then we're going to chalk it up the hearsay and we're going to do what we did you know, today, tomorrow mm. and just continue to try and keep doing what's right. Mm. Does anything worry you? I mean, COVID or not, does, does anything keep you up at night? I sleep pretty well, fortunately. Yeah, but, I do too. You know, the toughest thing, if you just relate that question and kind of make it, you know, what's, what's the challenge for the business moving forward? Yeah. Just getting young people involved, honestly, yeah. keeping them around, getting the, 20 year old person to get to 25 and then be here with us as we continue on for the next 10, 20, 30 years. That's the thing that, you know, is kind of becoming more and more of a focus for me personally. We're working on that for us as a company. I mean, what's, what's your sales pitch there? Like if, if I gave you a room full of 18 year olds, you know, 50, 18 year olds, what would your sales pitch be? The joke my dad always used to say was come to Midwest mall. Here's a suitcase. See the world. <laughs> I don't think that works all that well, <laughs> but, uh, again, I, I, you, you gotta find the right, you gotta find the right individual. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not much of a salesman. It's it's funny cause I do a lot of business development, but I'm not a salesman at all. I'm with you. Um, yeah. The thing is you, you just, again, what, what we've been talking about, you know, you, you gotta love solving problems. You gotta love to win. You know, that's the other thing we, you know, I played high school sports and I think just the whole bidding process is that, element of winning right that is afforded here and that's afforded all over you can you can win in the shop hey we we, we knocked that that rebuild out three weeks early right wow you can win in accounting you can you can win having the best looking truck that we got right i mean <laughs> there's just so many different ways to win here if if you do it and i think it's cool that, that, that we can do that that's that's one of the things that that i would tell people that it's it, you either like that or you don't, or it's important to you or it's not. And if it's not, then that's okay. There's a, there's a lot of places to work in yeah. this country. A lot. 
in a lot of places that are a hell of a lot easier. And, um, and, and I guess going to the wins thing, in a lot of other industries, you can just go your whole career without really any wins. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, that's why I like this industry because you can see exactly daily, wins, right? daily progress. And I used to, I mean, when I was 18 as a pipe player, we were doing it, you know, open cut, traditional pipe playing. I mean, same, same end product. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I loved being able to look at and I would make a mental note every morning. Okay, here's where the end of the pipe is right now. And then at the end of the day, holy smokes, you know, we, we just yeah. laid a ton of, I mean, I was all the way down there this morning by that bucket and now I'm up here. And it was the most exciting thing because it was just those daily victories. Like you work your ass off and then you get to see the immediate progress after your hard work. Yeah, you got to love that, you know, and that that's the test. You know, you put somebody out there and after a couple of weeks and they live through that and they're either excited about that or they're not, right? Yeah. And you'll know pretty early that you like seeing the fruits of your labor, you know, if you're going to work hard and then... It's kind of like it's kind of like cutting your grass, and that's no fun. But you know, there are times you know, and you cut your grass, and you get done, you sit on the porch, and you look at, it and you go, "Wow, that looks really good," you know. And it's just, yeah. it's just that sense of accomplishment. You know, it could be something that little and that mundane and that silly, but you either have pride in what you're doing, and you want it to do good, and you want it to look good, and you want to feel good about it, or you don't. And I can't train that, right? And I don't think any leader can train that. Yeah, we can help people with their whys. We can help people with. With, certainly with their livelihood, we can train people's skills and technical knowledge, but I can't make you care about what you do. I mm-hmm. can't make you feel pride, right? Have pride that you either were taught that or it's in you somehow innately that, wow, I, you know, I'm going to do a good job even when nobody's looking just because that's the right thing to do. Yeah. It wouldn't be a conversation without safety. And this kind of sounds like a stupid question at, at face value, but how important is safety to you guys and how do you reinforce the importance of safety? Because what you guys do is, I mean, inherently dangerous, especially, I mean, the tunneling world is no joke. It's, it's, I mean, every, every part of construction has its own unique hazards, but you guys are in, 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 I mean, a very hazardous type of work environment, almost nonstop. How yeah, do you I mean, reinforce safety around the United States since you're so spread out? I mean, how do you, how do you really keep people grounded from a safe perspective? We certainly do have a unique set of hazards. I'm not sure I'd use the word dangerous. That's a little strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there yeah, there yeah. are certainly unique hazards that, that, that we have that a lot of folks do not. Yeah. Part of it is, is competency. Uh, you know, that, that's just the, the nuts and bolts of safety. That's, that's training. That's knowing what you're doing. That's all of those things. And, and all that's important. But I think more importantly, just, just individuals and, you know, these are, these are real human beings that work here. These are real human beings that are part of this team, that are part of this family. You know, there's nothing more important than, than everybody going home. And just just reinforcing that, we, we uh, when, when I was younger, we'd have meetings, and, and I kind of just got the feeling that we're just checking a box here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and nothing against, you know, where we were at at the time. I mean, we, we were doing what we needed to do. And, and certainly there are, there is an element of you're checking the box. You, you need to do certain things, but, but I, I really wanted to, to focus and, and change things. And, and we want to try and make things, we, we don't want it to be a waste of time. We don't want it to be BS. We don't want it to be just constantly checking the box when it comes to safety. We want people to get something out of it. We want people to understand especially younger folks, if you're not exposed to construction, then there is that element of, yeah, you shouldn't stick your hand there, yep. right? And you can't train every little bit of that. So a lot of this falls on our superintendents and our project managers, certainly on our foreman to help keep people safe. And, and you know, that's kind of our motto. We just, we've got to look out after after one another. We've got to look out after everybody. And everybody has the right to say, no, nah, I don't feel right. I don't feel, this doesn't feel good, mm. right? I don't feel comfortable with what we're doing. And it might be somebody that's just inexperienced and hadn't seen it. And it's a matter of just having a discussion and, oh, okay, I get that. I don't understand. Uh, but sometimes it's a matter of, oh, yeah, we've, we've missed this. We didn't think about this. And we need to, we need to redo our plan. Yeah. And just kind of empowering everybody to do that, giving everybody that responsibility that you're looking out for yourself, but you're also looking out to that guy standing next to you. Well, we are looking at the time. We're about an hour. About an hour. And you, you claimed before this that you would not have nearly that much to talk about. Yeah. We the got, one thing I will say that I, that I will add to this before we kill it here. 
Yeah, please. I guess thinking back to your sales pitch, and, and one of the things that I think that we've done that I really like is we've got a Hall of Fame that we've established. And these are folks that, you know, came before us and kind of helped build the foundation of our organization. And, and, and two of them were our founders, Lynn and Jane Laiote, um, you know, people that started a business in their mid to late 50s when kids were in college and most folks are dialing in on retirement. And those two decided to, to give it a go and we're going to start a company. Yeah. Two are retired VPs, one's a superintendent, three are foreman, and four are laborers. And, and I'm really proud that four out of the 12 people in our Hall of Fame are laborers. And, and for, for me, if, if I had anything to say to somebody, we, we talked about patience and, and how do you move and move it up. But you know what? Sometimes it's okay just, you know, to, to be a laborer for your entire career. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You can make a very good living and for us, have a tremendous impact on our company mm-hmm. and, and the future of our company and the future of our employees by doing a good job and, and being a great labor and winning as a labor all the time. Right. Yeah. And I just want to point that out that to, to me, I think we really want to focus and we celebrate our people and having that hall of fame. I'm hopeful that's something people are working towards, not just your, your retirement or your 401k or even your paycheck or that next step up the ladder. But I'm looking for this kind of long-term legacy type respect that, that you can get here and, and to know that, man, if I can get there, then I know that I've really done something and I've helped a lot of people in the process. Yeah. So that, that, that's kind of my, my, my parting. How, how do we um, get people on here? That, that is something that, that we think is important. It's just a, we really try and celebrate our people. Perfect. Because yeah. without them, we, we really don't have anything, man. That's, that's what it's all about. We can buy iron. We can build buildings, but we can't do it without our people. Yeah, and the, the the Hall of Fame you guys have is extremely unique. I mean, that was one of my favorite things about what I learned from you guys early on. And and I mean, realistically, you don't dig a single tunnel. I mean, you don't you don't do any of that. It's it's the guys at the head of the tunneling machine making it happen every day for the company as a whole. Right. Absolutely. Well. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate your time today, especially on a Saturday, but I know like me, you're working today. I'm working today. It's just a, just another day at the office. It is. Absolutely. I remember when I was young going in, it was probably one of the first months of being there. And I seen Lynn in the office and you know, it's just, that's kind of the the imprint. And I asked him, I said, what are you, what are you doing here? (laughs) We got plenty of work, don't we? He's like, no, no. It never ends. You know, yep. those guys go through work out there in the field and, and my job does not stop. And it's, it's kind of, kind of constant. And I, you know, it just left an you know, impression on me that, and, and he's right. It, it, it does take a lot and, and we're, we're here to support those guys. Yep. Well, I, again, I, I really appreciate it. And you know, thanks for yep. Thank talking you, about Aaron, Midwest Mall. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, for, if any of you listening, enjoyed this conversation, please, like I always say, please share it. I'm not making any money from this. I'm spending a lot of time, spending a lot of money to, to make it reality. So if nothing else, if you could share it with just one other person that might enjoy it, it's an enormous help. And, you know, hopefully it, it, it even inspires that one person to maybe consider, consider this industry as a, as a career. So I appreciate you all listening and uh, we'll have another one for you soon.